Trigger warning. This episode contains adult content and may be distressing for some listeners. Pride Across the Ages is a collaborative project to amplify and celebrate the voices of LGBTIQA living in central Victoria. All episodes were recorded on Jar Jar land and respectfully recognise that First Nations sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Jared Condon. I was born in Brisbane, Queensland in 1951. Um, I identify as a gay man and my pronouns are he and him. What was my childhood like for me? It was pretty unremarkable I think. I was an only child, uh, some loving parents so I didn't have any particular issues that I'm aware of as a a child. Uh, My parents had fairly strict traditional roles. My dad used to play golf on Saturdays and mum did the household cooking and things of that nature. My my mother's mother lived with us all of my parents' married life, which again I thought was normal and that's only when I met other people that I found that actually wasn't how things normally were. So I think my parents must have been saints to <laughs> put up with all of that. Nothing in my childhood, my early childhood particularly, influenced my, my future life and I don't have any particular memories from that time in Brisbane. We moved to Melbourne when I was about 12. That was probably when my life really started to crystallise, as it probably does in most young teenagers. We moved to a a leafy suburb in Melbourne. The man next door was the secretary of the Hawthorne Football Club, and um, he took me once to um, the change rooms after a a football match, and that was when I came to the realisation that I was gay. (laughs) So I have to thank him for that. My parents were probably the standard anti-gay people at the time. I remember if there was ever a ballet on television, my mother would make negative comments about what I thought were the very cute men dancing. Um, But my sexuality, they weren't aware of it at that stage, and I probably wasn't fully aware of it myself, really. Looking back on everything, in many ways, my life path has been um, dominated or controlled by my sexuality. When I was at... uh, school. I went to a um, private secondary boys school in Melbourne and uh, I ended up having my first relationship there with um, uh, the stroke of the crew when uh, I was about 17 which um, was a a great experience and that lasted for about 18 months. Of course like all first relationships one becomes very heartbroken when that's all over but the really good thing was that it was a Catholic boys school so I went to confession and said I was doing dreadful things. The priest told me that there could be no confession, no no absolution so um, I thought well that's a bit strange so it was at the time of all the uh, self-help books so I went out and bought I'm OK, You're OK and read that and decided that the, the church and religion wasn't for me and they'd got it all wrong. So that helped me move on significantly in life. So I have to thank that bigoted priest for his, his views at the time. Then uh, after that, 
I went to university, I, I did dentistry, simply because I liked working with people, but also I wanted to be um, my own employer, and that was probably related in part to my sexuality. I didn't want to find myself in a position where I had to shy away from being who I really was. So I completed that course, and then after graduation I kind of let loose a bit and did the usual thing of those days and went to bars and clubs and had, had a good time with all of that. Moved into a house in Carlton after I graduated, which was um, round the corner from one of the Melbourne's gay, gay hotels. I can't actually remember what it was called now. And so I um, visited there a couple of times and um, it was an interesting experience and that kind of is how I got involved there. I've, I've came across the what I presume to be the best friend of a dentist of mine, which turned out, of course, to be his lover. And so that kind of got me more into a, a gay circle of people. It, it became known that I was a gay dentist, so I basically lost quite a few patients to AIDS. Um, because in the early days, as everyone knows, that no one knew how to, to treat them, what to do with them, um, which was very, very, very difficult. And, um, my husband lost his um, lover before me to AIDS, which was pretty pretty awful. He, he stayed with us um, for about the last year before he passed on. So it was a very, very difficult time, which um, I often think that um, some of the young gay people coming out these days um, don't, well, they obviously don't know about it, but they do know about it, but don't appreciate it. And it's uh, some of these things kind of get lost in time a bit. In my uh, mid-twenties, I met my current partner and husband, Michael, and so we've been together for about 45 years. And so that's um, one of the best things that happened to me in my life. And for those who are able to have a relationship long-term, I think it's a tremendous thing. Even the growing old together bit's sort of okay. After graduation, and my career was also kind of dominated by my sexuality, which is a strange thing to say. I went into private practice and I also taught at the university part-time. In private practice, I was um, blessed to, to have a, a really great business partner who um, was involved in dental regulation and dental politics and things of that nature. When HIV AIDS first reared its ugly head, the Dental Association was heading down a negative path in terms of discrimination towards gay patients, also uh, gay dentists, though they wouldn't have admitted there were such, such things. And my business partner thought that I should get involved on a committee that ran Infection Control for Australia. And so I got on this committee and over the years a couple of other gay people got on the committee and so I was on that committee and chair for 19 years and we basically changed the way dentists thought about infection control, which was an exciting and traumatic time. I remember at one stage um, I'd organised a, a lecture on HIV AIDS with an American guru type speaker that had come out and we'd booked out a, a hotel in town and had about four or five hundred dentists there which was a huge number. And then this guy had a montage of slides of everyone under the sun including a couple of stereotypical gay people and he said two of these people have got AIDS. So everyone knew, knew who those two would be. In the next slide all the photos were blacked out except for the two that had it. And the two that had it were the policeman and the nun. And at that stage, about a third of the audience walked out. And 
this is pre-internet days, so then I was subjected to phone calls and letters of complaint, and it was a very traumatic time. And I then followed that up shortly after by bringing about the the edict that dentists had to wear gloves because they didn't have to wear gloves before that stage. And again, I was not a popular person for doing all that. Anyway, that was one interesting part of my career. Uh, after that, that sort of got me on the in the role of dental politics, and so. I became president of the association. I was slightly out when I first took the job. Then at the end of the of the presidency, there was a cocktail party. And so I'd been considered to do a good job by all the, all the old boys because it was a very male-dominated thing. The cocktail party, I introduced my partner, um, which again conflicted a lot of them. But that was, was a good thing for them. It was a good educational issue for them. And they've all become sort of quite good friends and many years on since. So, so it's been good. I then moved on into regulatory roles with boards and accreditation authorities and things like that. So it's certainly been a particularly interesting career. One would never have um, predicted at the, at the beginning, and it's um, all really related to defending gay rights and making the small sector of the community aware of um, gay people being just like any other people. I um, retired basically from private practice 10 years ago and from doing other bits and pieces of regulatory-wise about uh, two or three years ago. Over the years I've been fortunate to receive a number of awards from the association and life memberships and things like that and a couple of years ago I received an order of Australia for, for the work I'd done which was really for the infection control early on plus all the other bits so it wasn't just an award for me I thought that was really uh, something that shows that um, gay people can be just as good as, as other people and um, I was sort of very proud to accept these awards with that premise. Where did I get the confidence to to do all of this. I think it probably came from my educational background. Acceptance by um, professional peers was a was a big thing. The outcome of the gay marriage plebiscite was also a um, particularly good thing, I think, for me and for other gay people. And uh, my partner and I were married in Canada in 2005 or something when we were able to go over there. And that was when I was speaking at a conference. All of the hierarchy of the of the dental association who were over there at the time all came to the reception, and that, I felt very proud to be able to host that as a as a, a gay man and uh, be fully accepted, which was great, really. I I came out to my parents um, after I'd been um, in a relationship with my current partner for a few years, so our our first year of relationship was a bit tricky and. At the end of the first year, we actually went to um, Marriage Guidance Council, uh, which we were the first gay couple the Marriage Guidance Counselor had ever had. So that, anyway, that worked out well because we're still together. So once I was aware that this was going to last, I then came out to my parents, which was um, fairly tricky. They weren't happy at first, as you expect back in the early 80s. There was a huge amount of societal pressure in those days that um, everyone was straight, you know, and... Uh, even when I came out to my father, he, he said, well, you know, you could always get married and um, have some men on the side sort of thing, uh, which um, I don't know whether that was a reflection of his life, but um, it might have been, I don't know. Um, but no, there was a huge amount of pressure uh, not to be in an openly gay relationship. Now, I'm not the only one that's done it. I mean, everyone of my vintage has had to go through that for better or for worse. And some parents are very accepting, some aren't, and some bits of society are, and some aren't. I think depending on where you were working and there'll be lots of other factors that make it harder or easier 
to live your life as a, as a gay man. But then eventually they they were accepting. Like, like most parents, they were pretty, more or less worried what the neighbours would say and what the relatives would think and all that sort of thing. Um, but that went well in the end, fortunately. It, it was a tricky time because the law, I think, I can't remember the law, had, when, when the law changed, was it? 81. Oh, okay, it must have been just before that because the law hadn't changed. So um, my, my mother was um, very concerned that I was doing something illegal and if I got caught that would be the end of my career and all that sort of stuff. But uh, she got over it. Oh, yeah, my grandmother was still alive. She, she, she was much more um, accepting. She, her view is you've just got one life and you do whatever make, makes you feel happy in life sort of thing. That was her, her view. I guess that brings me on to the to the gay community and my direct involvement. Well, we did march in the second um, Mardi Gras, which was much tamer than the first Mardi Gras, but that was, you know, for me at the time, that was a big, bold, bold thing to do. We uh, didn't have a huge involvement with, with, with gay groups in Melbourne, um, I guess because we were both working very busily. We had a... Um, a weekender at Chewton for 35 years. Six years ago we sold that and built in Castlemaine and we were always aware of um, the local gay group and uh, we'd been to a number of the, of the functions and found everyone very friendly and welcoming. And uh, when we moved to Castlemaine we became more involved with some of the functions that they have and it's a, a unique thing. I don't know whether there are similar gay groups in other towns of this size but certainly it's been a, a good thing in the town in terms of uh, getting to know people and contacts and if you want something they're always there to talk and help and be friendly which is great and the other things about this town though having moved here and retired we found there are so many other things to offer we've become very involved in um, U3A courses I'm involved in the um, Friends of the Castlemaine Art Museum and my partner had been a board member of the Art Museum and we've also made a, a large number of straight friends in the town so it's a, it's been a very positive experience coming to a, a town that's welcoming has always been gay friendly but that was just as a weekend um, we weren't terribly social back then because you'd work five days in Melbourne you'd come up to to Chewton on a weekend and basically recover from the week and then and then go back so it was only after coming to live in town and retiring that we became much more involved in the the local community both gay and straight. These days everyone's uh, got an, an uncle or a cousin or a nephew or a neighbour who's gay. I think people coming out has made such a such a big difference. Back in the early 80s, you were pretty unusual in the in the so-called straight world if you, if you were out. And I've I've been teaching uh, dental students from the late 70s until a couple of years ago. And the, the change in in their attitude is that as the years have gone by, there've been more obviously gay students go through the last 10 plus years. Their mates basically couldn't give a rat's. You know that. They're gay and he's got brown hair and the other one's got blue eyes. You know, that's 
which is just terrific. Now, certainly they're a more educated cohort of society, but I think most people have changed. I know just you know, build, building the house here as owner-builders, all the, all the tradies and whatever, coming from all various bits of the country, they didn't care who you were or, or what, what, you, what you did. I suppose as long as you're paying them, they're happy, but still there, there was no overt discrimination, which, is, which was great. As a gay man, the time of AIDS was a very worrying and frightening um, period. Um, fortunately, I was in a, a relationship with Michael at that stage, and it was a monogamous relationship. So just by chance, um, we escaped it. If it had been a year earlier, uh, we, we may not have. And, um, not knowing who had it, how it was caught, that was a, a big issue. And... Going back to what I said before, that's what freaked out all these dentists in their suburban practices so much was that they all knew what a gay person looked at and a gay, look, looked like and a gay person could have it. And so suddenly, if um, they couldn't tell what a gay person looked like, that meant they couldn't tell who had it in their practices and they were very, very worried. So all of society was particularly worried and the Grim Reaper ads delivered the message, but they were perhaps a little bit, a bit of a brutal way for education to occur. The obviously gay, high-risk group of patients would be, they were planning to have them kind of segregated to late in the day or with extra precautions and charge them more for having to wear gloves and all that sort of stuff. So eventually dentists learnt, as probably did doctors, that um, anyone could have HIV AIDS and you couldn't tell just by looking at them and they had to had universal precautions that covered everyone. Back in 1979, the, the prospect of gay men having children was not on the radar at all, and so that wasn't something one had to consider. I don't know. If I would have, if that opportunity was there, whether we would have had children or not, I'm probably a bit too set in my ways now to, <laughs> to go down that track. The other thing is, I think I wanted, as a gay man, I needed to reduce the opportunities for criticism of, of what I was doing. So I worked doubly hard to make sure that professionally everything I did was as, as good as it could be and not subject to criticism because criticism can easily turn into he's no good at that because he's gay, you know. So I was trying to make sure that that didn't happen and I was probably, in retrospect, in the early days, a bit harder on my gay students just to make sure that they ended up being just that little bit better so that they couldn't be criticised over their professional standards. That would not be something that um, most straight people would, would consider, really. In the world, there's still a presumption that um, straight, relatively straight acting men are straight. Mm. And I know that caught out a few colleagues who hadn't known me particularly well, but we've been working together and they just presume I'm straight. And um, when I tell them I'm not, they're usually extremely apologetic that they've made that nasty presumption. But it's, it's a ingrained in society, which whether, whether that will ever go, who knows. I, I, it always gives me some, some pleasure when you're meeting a colleague for the first time and they bring out the phone with the photos of the kids on it and I bring out the phone with the photos of the dogs on it <laughs> which usually brings the conversation to a fairly fast halt <laughs> eventually the time comes when um, everyone's the same on, on an equal footing and 
I think in some parts of our society here we're getting close to that. Other parts are still quite a long way and some countries, as we know, are just centuries behind and I think that'll take some time for, for that to recover. Uh, for myself, for the future, ageing disgracefully, it'd be perhaps, as I said, I enjoy living in the country. We still go to the city every now and then but enjoy the city much less than than the country, most, mostly because of the community of gay and straight friends that this particular town's able to deliver. This project was made possible with the financial assistance of Victoria's Pride Regional Activation Programme, and Midsummer Festival, and with the support of the Mount Alexander Shire Council, the Mount Alexander Shire LGBTIQA Plus Steering Group, and the Queer and Now Radio Program on Main FM 94.9. This podcast has been produced by the Queer and Now team, Shireen Clone and Amalie O'Hara, at Main FM 94.9. Editing and original music by Amy Chapman. A big thank you to all participants for sharing their stories with such a wonderful generosity of spirit. If anything within this episode has been upsetting for you, please reach out and call the dedicated LGBTIQA plus helpline switchboard on 1800 184 527 or Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Kids Helpline 1800 55 1800.